All right, welcome to SVU Pod, especially heinous. I'm Gabe. I'm Tasha, and we're recording on fucking May 4th. It's the mm-hmm. day after Gabe's birthday. Still considered my birthday. Just the start of the month. Just the start of the year. I guess, no? yeah. I guess, yeah. Three, 364 new- days and counting. <laughs> Yesterday was great. We went to this hot pot place. It was in an old Fazoli's. <laughs> I bet you we probably crossed paths at that Fazoli's because I was there all the I love that place. I had my favorite sandwich I and everything. Lo- when it was Fazoli's and then I discovered that there was a drive through there. Oh, my God. I would eat yeah. spaghetti out of my lap driving my fucking Ford <laughs> Taurus, dude. You're like, just throw it in the back and it's a pile of spaghetti. <laughs> <laughs> When I pulled into the parking lot, I was like, oh, my God, this is that old place that I used to get spaghetti at. So I was sitting there waiting for Gabe. And I was like, what was it called? What was it called? So I Googled old place. You could get a bucket of spaghetti. (laughs) But there's a place (laughs) called bucket of spaghetti or spaghetti bucket or something now. Madison? No, not not in Madison. No, I don't know where it is. But I was just like, of fucking course, there's a place called spaghetti bucket. (laughs) A dollar thirty five a scoop. It's the yeah, it's, it's the same place. You get the spaghetti by the ladle out of the bucket. You get a ladle free with every bucket. It's a dollar a pound, like dig and save. <laughs> no lid. It's a five gallon fucking ice cream bucket. No, five gallon <laughs> construction site bucket. Oh, okay, yeah. And a big ladle. I was thinking of like those big ice cream buckets that Oh, I know. You know that we had when we were kids that you, your mom put all your toys in, little figures. And the food scraps, the slop bucket. Yeah. The slop bucket, yeah. <laughs> 90s 90s okay oh yeah we are on (laughs) we are on season five episode 17 mean mean so the opening scene there's two tow truck people and they're bitching about where they live and the doorman and blah 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 it's super cold it has snowed and there's ice everywhere the car it's parked right in front of a fire hydrant so they're towing it away one of the workers is like oh shit look at this and like calls the other guy over she sees frozen blood coming out of the trunk the other worker calls dispatch to get the police to come out benson and stabler are on the scene so a white female was found in the trunk no clothes or id the car had been parked since at least 6 a.m that day assistant emmy cardio is waiting by the car stabler points out to benson that corner warner always sends the assistance when it's cold <laughs> <laughs> and the assistant guy's like, she's probably sitting in her office drinking coffee and eating a Danish and blah, everybody's pissed. And I was like, fucking good for her. She has assistants. No shit. Like, she worked really hard to get to where she's at. This is fucking ridiculous. Don't even, don't even come for Corner Warner when she's got mm-hmm. her shit together in a way that you may never. She is the, she's the hero dreams of sushi of fucking corners. <laughs> Go ahead. So the victim is still in the trunk. Victim's age is between 15 and 21. She's been dead at least five hours. She has been stabbed and slashed about a hundred times. Her throat is cut. She's been burned with a cigarette and has like major head trauma. Cardio thinks she was in the trunk for most of the attack. Her hands and feet were duct taped, so she couldn't fight back. The heat from the car made it so she bled to death before she froze. It could have taken her four hours to die, which is just fucking... Uh A patrol officer calls out to Benson Stabler. A missing persons report was filed by Greg Sullivan in Westchester. His 16-year-old daughter never showed up for school. The car the victim was found in is registered to Greg Sullivan, and his daughter was the one to have the car last. Theme song. Benson Stabler go to talk to Greg Sullivan. They're at his house. He's distraught, obviously. But wait. What? We have to get every moment of levity that we can. This dude is Jim Haggerty from The Onion, The Onion News Network, and the 2012 series Porkin' Across America. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) 
I squealed like a porky little pig when I fucking saw the title of that series that he hosted. What is it? Is it like a barbecue thing? Well, yeah, but it's like he's playing this character, Jim Haggerty from The Onion. And so oh. it's called Pork and Across America in the way that you really like to use the word pork. <laughs> yeah. But he's eating different like barbecue sandwiches and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> porking across America. But he's like this serious sad dad, which really put a whole another spin on it for me. Like oh sad dad. He says his wife is out of town trying to get a flight back. Does she even exist? Oh my god, she's the dad and she's living a double life. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Greg says he didn't call the police when his daughter Emily wasn't home the night before because she was supposed to be at a friend's house. Andrea Kent. They were having a sleepover because they were working on a history project. He doesn't understand why she would go to the city at night. She doesn't even have her night license. What is that? I don't know. if Is that a thing? Because you know how like when we were, I mean, I, you were 16 and you got your license. And then right after that, like stuff changed where. Oh, where it was like you can only have a family member in the car or whatever. For a while or maybe you can't drive yeah. at night. It, maybe. That happened after we got our licenses, which was cool yeah. because I was like, that's some bullshit. Because the second you get your license, like it's still fucking smoking from the laminating machine and you go pick up your friends yeah and you're just like shouldn't be driving at 16 <laughs> right be driving. right they're not wrong like, for like putting these rules in yeah. place but yeah yeah and it could have been like a new york thing maybe they weren't allowed to i don't know mm -hmm. yeah he's been calling the kents all morning but no one has answered greg is sure that emily was at the kent's house because last night he left a voicemail at around 9 p.m to tell emily good night and she called him back 15 minutes later greg is like oh my god she was never at the kents was she stabler wants the number so he runs off to get andrea kent's phone number benson sees a picture of Emily on the mantle and it is for sure the victim. Greg sees them looking at it and he's like, oh my god, it's her, isn't it? And starts fucking just bawling. Ugh. So Benny and Stabes go to talk to Andrea Kent's mom. They're doing a little walk and talk with Mrs. Kent as she leaves her big fancy modern house. This is her first appearance of four in SVU and she was in heat. <laughs> Mrs. Kent says Emily wasn't at their house the night before and says Emily was mm, she was lying. She says it like an indignant bitch, like her daughter's not going to turn out to be a fucking bitch. Mm -hmm, I know. Benson tells Mrs. Kent about Emily's murder and she's fucking white lady on Quaaludes upset. <laughs> oh, how awful. Andrea's going to be so upset. Yeah. She says Andrea was home the night before, did homework and went to bed early. And I was like, hmm. Slick move. Mm. Sneak out? Mm -hmm. When Stabler shows Mrs. Kent the piece of paper Greg gave them with the phone number on it, she's like, uh, that doesn't look familiar to me. Mm -hmm. Andrea's at school. Mrs. Kent's all about the detectives asking her daughter about Emily and says she hopes it scares Andrea. This is what happens when kids lie to their parents, which is a harsh bitch thing to say after you found out your mm -hmm. kid's friend is dead. Right. And also, especially knowing you're about to find out your daughter is probably the worst of the liars. That's what I said. And was I wrong? Mm. Probably not. At Tanner Day Academy, Benny and Stabes are doing a high school hallway walk and talk with Principal Kilgore. This guy is the recognizable. He's a character actor mm -hmm. who's been in at least one episode of every show that's ever been on TV. My favorite of his credits is the 1999 TV movie Jackie's Back as Wimpy Bald Man. <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy. That's a, that's a typecast thing right His there. His credit <laughs> is Wimpy Bald Man. <laughs> so now that we all know who we're talking about, he calls Emily a shining star, homecoming court, friends with everyone, active in clubs. Emily's friends, Andrea Kent, she was in Gilmore Girls, right guys? Paige Summerby and Brittany O'Malley are waiting in the office to speak with detectives. The way that these gals are all sitting there and presented are classic typecast mm -hmm. popular girls, pretty blondes and pretty preppy clothes, 
fucking one's in a cheerleader's uniform and they're all sitting there basically catatonic and look like they're in shock. Andrea says she last saw Emily the day before at school. She doesn't know why Emily would have lied and said she was at her house that night. Stabler shows the girls the phone number Greg wrote down and asks if any of them recognize it and they all shake their heads. So Stabler's kind of like, hmm, like he knows something. And he's like, excuse me, teenagers. I didn't become a dad yesterday. I became a dad in high school. Hey, wimpy bald man, can I use your phone real quick? Stabes picks up the office phone, calls the number, and what do you know? Brittany's phone rings. Oh, she's so fucking busted. Also, who cares? Your friend is dead. Like, say it out loud. Your friend is dead. Right. I don't want to get in trouble. Your friend is dead. Yeah. So Brittany starts to grab her phone to answer it. And Benny goes, "Mm mm-mm, let it go to voicemail. We hear the voicemail and it's Brittany saying, thanks for calling the Kent residence. Leave a message. Brittany begins to cry and says that Emily asked her to do it. Emily didn't want to get caught sneaking out. So when Emily's parents would call and leave a message, Brittany would call Emily and let her know so Emily could call them back. This is par for the course for teens at the time, by the way. Mm -hmm. Um, We all did this shit kids will never know this existence with life 360 and all the shit that we have now i will constantly be monitoring my children yeah Paige says that emily was supposed to be on a big romantic date but they don't even know the date's name all they know is he was like 23 britney talked to her to tell her to call her dad but she didn't know where emily was and now britney is sobbing and blaming herself and i'm like oh honey just Relax. Yeah. Benson asks. Just the, relax. Just, well, I mean, <laughs> I know we know they did this. Yeah. They this, have, or at least they have like a big part in something. It's called mean, and you guys are the plastics. Obviously. Yeah. I don't have any sympathy for you. <laughs> the detectives get the combo to Emily's locker, and boop over there in Emily's locker. Benny and Stabes find a picture of her and a dude, and some pictures of her friends taped inside the door. High school mm, locker stuff. Teenage stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Judgy dad Stabes. Emily had the perfect high school life and she threw it all away for some 20 something skeeve. She did? Are you sure? Are you no sure about shit. that? You sure about he's that? A grown man. You sure you about, sure about that? that? Are you sure about that? That's what happened. She didn't do shit. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> Come on, dude. She's a fucking, she's a child. She's a teenager. She's being groomed if she's having a relationship with a 20 something year old dude. Yeah. It's just annoying that he was judgy to not only a teenager, but a dead one. Yeah. Well, then Staves finds a day planner. Benson finds a camera. While they're digging, Benny mentions that Brittany called and got a hold of Emily the night before, but CSU didn't find Emily's phone. Dot, dot, dot. Mm. Mm. Staves looking at the day planner, finds nothing. Then Benny bleeps through the 2004 cutting edge digital camera and finds pics of Emily. Do you see her face? She was like, how do I turn this contraption on? It was like... <laughs> Don't scrunch your eyebrows that hard about it. I always feel like an asshole. We're sitting here 20 years in the future judging right. the shit that they were doing when we were like, I remember when yeah. I got a digital camera, it was like, it's the size of a credit card. And it was like the, an introductory laptop from the same time <laughs> period. It was like barely right. fit in your back pocket. It's like, whoa, bloop, 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 bloop. So Benny's going through this phone and she finds photos of Emily and this older dude. Oh, just then Stabes finds a fucking signed headshot of this fucking dork. And his name's Lucas Ian Croft. The headshot is signed to Emily, my biggest fan. Ew. The dude in the headshot, BT Dubs, was in a show that I loved called Happy Endings that got canceled because people are stupid. (laughs) It was such a good fucking show. It was so funny. He's currently playing Rick Wright on the new Magnum P.I. So let's go. 
Let's go talk to that bunch of grapes. <laughs> so we're on the scene of a commercial for uh, Fruit of the Loom energy drink. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> exactly what I wrote. There's a bunch of people who are dressed like the fruits from Fruit of the Loom. So the detectives find Lucas dressed as a bunch of grapes, like a grape bundle, whatever it's called. <laughs> grape bundle. <laughs> what are they called? Give me a bundle of grapes. I'll take a bundle of grapes, please. Uh, it's. I think it's a bunch. I think it's called a bunch of grapes. A bunch, yeah. yeah. I think it's called a murder of grapes. <laughs> I think it's called a choke. <laughs> oh, jeez. So Lucas is dressed as a vine with a bunch of pups of grapes on it. <laughs> <laughs> with a litter of grapes. <laughs> so <laughs> Lucas said he and Emily had only been on a few dates and he broke things off the second he found out she was 16. Bullshit. Call him bullshit. Wait, but as as he's leaving the stage when the detectives are like hey we need to talk to you the director is screaming at everybody and he sounded to me i was like no way that's him because he has way too many credits but he sounded exactly like richard kind do you know who i'm talking about he has almost 300 credits i feel like you'll know he voices marty glauberman andrew's dad in big mouth oh yes i know exactly who that is yes i'm looking at the computer and seeing hundreds of uh, hot dog ends I can't even do it justice. Andrew, hurry yeah. up. We're late for nothing. <laughs> yeah. I love I love him. Fucking Richard Kind yeah. is so good. He's so, but it wasn't him. So I like went down this Richard Kind rabbit hole and I'm like, Tasha, it's not even him. It's just sort of his voice. <laughs> Lucas, yes, as a murder of grapes, looks very shocked. Um, oh, no, I wrote, I wrote. He's juicing everywhere. <laughs> He, I wrote, he looks pretty shocked for being a pile of grapes. <laughs> he, he wants to know what happened. Benson said she came into the city to meet him and then got murdered. And he swears that they broke up and he was on a movie set the night before until 4 a.m. And Stabler was like, looks up and down those juicy grapes and is like, you were in a movie? And he's like, as an extra. <laughs> just trying to make my career man so now at the precinct the gang goes over the details stabler gets off the phone and says little fruits alibi checks out <laughs> god so fucking stupid yeah. little fruits alibi checks out nobody else gets it they're all like what and he says well when we went there he was in a he was in a great costume <laughs> so that joke and they're like, where's <laughs> benny she'll get it livia <laughs> live when i hung up the phone i was like <laughs> <laughs> she's like did you tell him why it was funny he was dressed like grapes would you just come in here <laughs> i'm in the bathroom the door's open hold on i took a picture is it a bunch of grapes <laughs> is it a bundle or a bunch okay okay <laughs> that was fun. That was fun. <laughs> Can we do this? Yeah, I mean, the little fruits alibi checks out. Okay, it sure shit checked out. <laughs> okay, there's been there no was activity also on her car. An apple and a banana, <laughs> and I think was it a pear? Was it a pear? <laughs> was it a stop? Pear? <laughs> stop. Okay, so. There has been no activity on her cards. Her computer is being checked. And Huang points out that the little cuts weren't super deep, but enough to make her bleed out. Mm. Benson says the perp wanted to watch her suffer. Huang's going to check to see if there are any other MOs that match the murder. Craigan had gotten a call from Emily's... Craigan was just alerted that Emily's phone just made a call to a sex line, like a 1-900 number, mm-hmm. within 100 yards 
of where they are at that moment. Thank God. Is that two blocks? Is 100 yards like about two blocks? I mean, it's, it's a football 100 field. yards is a football field, which I feel like me just realizing that both of us thought of that at the same time. I'm like, we are sports. We are sports. <laughs> 100 yards. I mean, that makes two. That sounds like two blocks. Two blocks. Two city blocks. It's two blocks. The closest location is a comic book store. Sabler says that psychos always love comics. And mm. I'm like. Blink, blink. <laughs> now we're at the 13th Dimension Comics. Benson and Stabler find a guy in the comic store using a pink cell phone, and he's saying shit like, so you look like Kathleen Turner? Yeah? Like when she was skinny? Ew. Oh yeah, that's hot. And I was like, ew, you're fucking turd. <laughs> yeah. Oh, fucking gross. <laughs> Stabler okay, so, snatches it. I'm sorry. Um, So New York City blocks are kind of like oblong. They're about 264 by 900 feet. So I'm not getting a yardage on that, but 900 feet is 300 yards. So 264 feet is like 100 yards. So yeah, they're probably like a block away, depending on what block. Okay. Which which direction it's going. Which direction you're going. And what do they mean? The closest thing from them in New York is a comic book store. What about every other thing that's on that? Right. <laughs> like it's probably which direction piled up with like <laughs> 10 other things. Stabler snatches the phone out of his hand and he starts to arrest him for Emily's murder. He's freaking out and tells him that he found the phone a couple of blocks away. Yeah. He had been out of town that morning at a Cosmicon in Grand Rapids. He has the plane tickets in his back pocket to prove it. And he's like, I, I, I'll pay for the calls, but I didn't kill anyone. <laughs> They let him go, and then he gets all excited, and he's like, oh, my God, is this a murder investigation? What's going on? Tell me. And Benson's like, no, dude. And he's like, okay, I get it. Police procedure. (laughs) (laughs) Stabler looks through the phone and finds a text from Brittany. says, see you later. (sighs) Stabler says, my daughter texts her friends 20 times a day. And I'm like, I probably have 250 texts to you (laughs) just today. And at the time I wrote this, it was 2.30 in the afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and that's the whole, like, can you believe it? Yeah, they're being uh, really conservative with the outrage at how much teens are texting. Right. And back then, I mean, you got charged for yeah. that shit. Like, you couldn't send. My first phone, I had 1,500 minutes. Like, you went ape shit at 9 p.m. Yes, exactly. I was going to say, I had 1,500 minutes for however, however much. And then, uh, yeah, 9 p.m. For our one 18-year-old listener, um, that just made, they had a, after 9 p.m., calls were free. <laughs> Yeah. In the Taru lab, Benny and Staves get Emily's phone records from Taru Miguel. This is his second of third appearance. He's got 137 credits, including suits. So you know he's legit. Texts are, are the suits jokes old? Should I move on? No. Okay. No. <laughs> Texts are archived for 14 days. And he's like, funk. The stack that they get is huge. And they're like, whoa, kids be texting. Oh. <laughs> That's the amount of texts that we send each other in a day and a half. Yeah. So the detectives read some of the texts and Stabler's like, these are really deep. Danny is so 10 O's. Oh, cute. <laughs> That's exactly what this line was. <laughs> yeah. But Benny gets to the fucking juice right away. The grape juice of it all. <laughs> she fucking is just stomping grapes making wine she found the text that they need to find <gasps> that all and then, and then she falls and goes oh, oh. <laughs> do you remember that video <laughs> what <laughs> there's a lady there's like there was a video of this <laughs> this lady and like she's they're stomping grapes and they're doing an interview <laughs> the and news she lady falls. And she falls and she like, and she like loses her breath, but she goes, oh, uh, uh. 
again. Remember? Remember? I do. I do remember now that you said yes. (laughs) Okay. A few of these text messages stand out to Benny. Keep your fat mouth shut and we're all just waiting for you to kill yourself. Jeez. And Staves is like, oh my God, who sent those? Fucking Emily sent them to Mm -hmm. someone else. So now Taru Miguel is going to find out who that little bitch sent them to. Yeah. I mean, sorry you're dead, but you guys are all shitty. They find out the kid who received these text messages from Emily. Benny and Staves go to speak with Agnes Linsky at her apartment. Her dad answers the door. He looks like he just came in from chopping wood and hasn't shaved his face in five years. And I wrote, is he kind of a babe? And then I wrote, he's got to be 6'5", right, Gabe? Because I figured you'd have a little bit of a hard-on for him. I clocked it. When asked if Agnes is friends with Emily, her dad immediately gets pissed. You guys know damn well that bitch is not my daughter's friend. Go bother her parents. They deserve it. Agnes's brother, Troy, slunks up behind Mr. Linsky, just like, what's going on, dad? As Stabes holds the door open to tell Mr. Linsky that they're from SVU and Emily was murdered. Mr. Linsky looks over his shoulder at his son and tells him, Troy, get lost. And I was like, oh my God, it's Troy. It's Troy. That immediately I was like, it's Troy. Troy oh, all this. yeah. I thought Troy had to immediately. But mm-hmm. this this kid who's playing Troy, talk about this guy was in The Sopranos. Troy is played by Robert Eiler, AJ fucking Soprano. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Holy shit. Mr. Linsky tells the detectives that they've been trying to get a restraining order against Emily for over a year. Mr. Linsky isn't about to shed a tear over Emily's death. She made his daughter's life fucking miserable. And God help me, I'm not sorry she's dead. And he slams the door on him. I mean, that's tough, but like, we find out. Benny and Stabes head back to the school to talk to the principal. They want to know why the principal didn't tell them about the fucking restraining order. He didn't think it was relevant because the judge didn't find merit to the claims, and neither did he. He thinks Mr. Linsky was just being an overprotective father getting involved in a misunderstanding. Okay. Mm -hmm. Benny's super annoyed at him. All of it's fucking relevant, right? Mm -hmm. Instead, they set up a fucking bullshit mediation. Between children. Yeah. He then calls Agnes delayed academically and socially, but says she wouldn't kill anyone. Benny wants to talk to Agnes, so they need to get her dad down to the school so they can. The principal says that "Mm, Agnes is 18, so we don't need her dad. He goes to get her out of class. And for some reason, I didn't understand this really, but Stabes looks at Benny and goes, no need in both of us tag teaming her. You just take it. Like, how do you know that already? Yeah, I don't know. What, what, What were you doing at the time? Like, what was was he doing? What did you go do? Go dig through somebody's locker? (laughs) Right. Kicking down the science room door? Yeah. He went to the gymnasium to do some karate? (laughs) Like, what's he doing? (laughs) So Benson goes to talk to Agnes. Oh, my God. The fat shaming in our culture is so fucking gross. I looked into this actor's credits, and I know people get to choose the work that they do and the work that they take on, but so many of her roles are centered on her weight, mm-hmm. like her physical weight and not that of her acting skill. It's This isn't new news to anybody, but she's right. literally played characters named The Blob, Big Bertha Muffin, Plus Size Paula, fucking Blubberella. It's just it's yeah. just fat phobia is real and the, the weirdness of people acting like it's not is fucking stupid. Every time I see a Lizzo post and I look at the comments, it's always people saying shit. And they're always like, it's not healthy. It's her health. That's what like, they care do about. Do not for a second act like you give a shit about her health. You don't Because if you shit. did, you'd know that she fucking like exercises and runs around on stage and she doesn't need to explain to you. 
No, you know I mean? she doesn't. But I've seen her live. I have too. Her energy with without missing a breath. She is in extremely physically great shape to be able to do that an entire concert. It's just it's just gross. It's, just, like, pe- it's because you think like, it's gross. It's because you have biases against fat people. Yeah. Yeah. Like somebody's somebody's are bigger, some are smaller. Who fuck like shut the fuck up. Let's just stop talking about people's bodies. Right. <sighs> Okay, Agnes knows that they were at her house last night. She says she doesn't know what happened to Emily. They weren't friends. She says that the principal spends all his time kissing Emily and her friends' asses. Agnes thinks nobody believes her and doesn't think Benson's gonna either. So Benson, like, pulls some real lady angel Benson shit and opens up to Agnes about her mom's drinking Mm. and how she kept to herself in school because she didn't want people to know about her mom. Benson says that it's easier not having friends, but it doesn't make it less lonely. Yeah. Yeah. Agnes kind of softens up, looks over at her, and is like, oh. Agnes tells Benson her mom died when she was nine. And when she was 12, Emily started a rumor that Agnes's mom left their family because she couldn't stand how ugly Agnes was. Jesus fucking Christ. And like, this isn't like fictional. People do this shit. Yeah. When they were younger, Agnes and Emily were friends. But in seventh grade, Emily got a fake screen name and pretended to be a boy Agnes liked, emailed her. And the next day she went to talk to the boy. He had no idea what she was talking about and fucking pushed her in the mud, which like what? Mm. Emily and her friends thought it was hilarious. That's so disgusting. I know. Emily's friends were shitty to Agnes. And Agnes says, quote, but I was Emily's little project. And then Emily would pull some bullshit, like she'd pretend to be Agnes's friend for like a week and then would use things against her. Agnes had given Emily her cell phone number and Emily started sending her super mean texts, like how fat she is, how she should kill herself. And I'm like, Jesus Christ almighty. Agnes feels like she's somehow disappointing her dad by being bullied. Troy, her brother, told her to ignore it, but it builds up and sometimes she can't even get out of bed. And then Agnes says, quote, I know this sounds awful, but I'm happy Emily's dead. Mm. What a fucking nightmare. Yeah. And I don't blame her. It's a complicated place to be, but that's how she was able to get relief from. I mean, because this was pushing her in a way that there is a lot of relief for her with Emily being gone. And then the guilt of feeling that relief is mm-hmm. a thing you have to process, you know, right. like fucking A. Right. I'm glad during my younger years, I, we didn't have cell phones. Mm-hmm. You just get regular bullied, which isn't awesome. But like, right. <laughs> I wouldn't want to get emails and texts and shit from mean people. Right. In the precinct, the squad gets the deeds on Agnes's family. Mr. Linsky was bartending the night Emily was murdered. Agnes says she was home alone. Craig is not sure if Agnes is capable of something like this. Huang says that if she was pushed hard enough, she probably could. He says the sadistic nature of the attack is explained by the fury of someone who doesn't know how to kill, like just stabbing. Stabler says that the school knew and didn't do shit about it. Huang says that victims of bullying are usually social outcasts. And then he says, quote, it's human nature for the school to identify with the, quote, normal kids, which is fucking weird. It's not weird, but it sucks. Yeah. Benson understands Agnes's hate for Emily, but doesn't think that she killed her. Cragen wants them to check the bar Agnes's dad works at to make sure he was there during the whole shift and didn't take like a long lunch or anything. Stabler gets a call. Emily's friend Brittany was attacked at school and is on the way to the ER. The security is holding the guy that attacked her. Cragen tells Benson to go to the ER and Stabler will go to the school. So we're back at the Tanner Day Academy security office. The guy that attacked Brittany is Agnes's brother, Troy. Oh, Oh. he's got earrings in. and You know, that's fucking naughty. Naughty kids. A school cop says Troy was expelled from school three years ago for bringing a knife to school. And then the cop says he also likes to beat up little girls. And Troy is looking forward and says, I didn't beat her up. And the cop says, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> With like three Y's. Shut up. <laughs> 
I'll let you guys get more acquainted. Troy tells Stabler that he pushed Brittany, but it was an accident that she hit her head on the locker. Hard enough to go to the ER? I mean, jeez. Mm. Troy said it was an accident and he was just mad. And he's like, do you know what they do to my sister? Stabler says he knows all about how Emily tortured Agnes and someone, quote, taught that little bitch a lesson, right? Troy completely denies doing anything to Emily. Troy wanted Brittany to admit that she took pictures of Agnes while she was changing in the locker room and sent the pics around. Fucking awful. 2004. She sent them to anyone with a camera phone. Which was 20 people in our <laughs> school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Troy says the photos were sent to about 20 people and tells Stabler to look at his phone. He says Emily and her friends have everyone fooled. They're fucking evil. Troy's friend's sister was sent the photos, so his friend sent them to Troy. Troy says that no one is protecting his sister. Stabler says they're trying to help Agnes. And Troy asks him what they're going to do about these photos. It's fucking illegal to take pictures of naked people, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, they don't do anything. No. Stabler just looks off like, I'm going to do something. Never brought up again. We should do something. Yeah, that is illegal. They do have bigger things to worry about right now. At the hospital, Benny is with Brittany and her mom, a.k.a. Regina George and her cool mom. Right. <laughs> Benson gets off the phone with Stabler and Brittany's mom says she wants Troy arrested for assault and battery. Brittany's sitting on the bed like a forlorn teenager with her little arm in a sling. And she's like, oh, no, forget it. And her mom starts to speak up like, oh, Brittany. And Brittany turns on a dime. Shut up. Find the plastic surgeon. I want to get out of here. And her mom's mm-hmm. like, of course, sweetheart. Um, Absolutely mm-hmm. fucking not. Yeah. Brittany's mom claims that Emily's group was always nice to Agnes and leaves to go find the doctor so she can get her demanding little bitch daughter out of there. When mom leaves, Benson starts questioning Brittany. So Brittany's more worried about having a scar than anything. And she's got the tiniest fucking cut on her forehead. Like it's patched up with a butterfly bandage, this tiny little thing. And Benny nicely says, oh, I think it's going to be just fine. And this little bitch looks at Olivia goddamn Benson and goes, oh, well, thank you, doctor. You can leave now. You can go shave your back now. Like she was so (laughs) Regina George. It's such a cunt. And I'm like, Ugh. babes, do you really think your fake bad bitch shit is going to intimidate Detective Olivia Golden Highlights could karate herself out of being buried alive fucking Benson? Right? <laughs> oh, honey. And, like, or anybody besides your fucking mom? No shit. You know what I mean? I'm going to totally set aside the fact that this is a detective gathering information for a murder investigation and just let you know that not today, honey, not Olivia Benson, not today. Mm-mm. But Benny he stays chill and she goes you know what honey because she knows that she's got the upper hand you know what honey i will but not before i ask you a couple of questions Mm -hmm. britney says troy attacked her because he's psycho and his whole family is crazy when asked if she saw agnes she of course references her weight and goes she's kind of hard to miss oh god what a bitch you're really cocky for a girl that benny's about to straight up dunk on right now Benny shows her the locker room photo of Agnes and asks if she took it, reminding her that they can trace the photo back to who sent it. And then Brittany starts crying. She says she's sorry and she admits to doing it. Brittany took the photo to get back at Agnes because she thinks Agnes killed Emily. She killed my best friend. Fuck off, you stupid bitch. And Benson's like, and now I'm going to kill you and holds a pillow over Brittany's face and smothers her (laughs) until she stops moving. But nobody cares because Brittany's such a little bitch. Even her mom is relieved. The hospital staff just throws her body down the trash (laughs) chute. Dead Brittany's mom and Agnes's dad meet because they're both in a group to advocate for Benson not being sent to prison for her selfless act. She learns what her daughter and her daughter's (laughs) awful friends did to Agnes all these years and is horrified. The two fall in love and her misdirected nurturing of Brittany is not lost on Agnes and they all slowly heal as a 
new family. And Benny goes and kills the third one, the still alive one, the end. <laughs> Toyota, let's go. Toyota, so the let's end. Let's get lunch. No, she's just like, oh, she killed my best friend. And she's still alive. At the crime lab, Benny and Stabes really want some leads. They're following CSU Judy around and they're like, what do you got? What do you got? Uh. <laughs> she's, <laughs> she's like, you have to put out those cigars when you're in here. <laughs> CSU Judy's like, what's the hurry, you guys? And Stabes, the way he said, duh, we got a bunch of teenagers trying to kill each other. Maybe we could, I don't know, uh, arrest one of them. And CSU Judy doesn't even look at him. Benny mm-hmm. asks if she can at least narrow down the gender of the killer. CSU Judy thinks the wounds on Emily came from manicure scissors because they were wider at the base and she does a whole visual for her. Mm. Some of the scratch wounds contained nail polish, boy crush mm. blush, aka light pink, because there's only one company that makes a light pink nail polish so we can narrow down exactly what it was. So CSU mm. Judes thinks the killer is female. Fucking Stabler, duh, or a metrosexual. <laughs> and again, she ignores his bullshit. And I'm like, is Stabler dead? Is Stabler Bruce Willis right now? Because she is not acknowledging any of the dumb shit he says, which I appreciate. How's it feel to be a fucking woman in our culture for five minutes, Stabler? Right. And Benson's like, I see dead people. Did you hear me about the metrosexual thing? <laughs> Do you think grapes are boys or girls? <laughs> Also, metrosexual was a term before people were comfortable with queer. Wait, people aren't comfortable with it. They just have grown a (laughs) tiny, tiny, tiny bit. I think it came out during um, Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. Oh, yeah, because then straight men could care about their appearance, but not be. uh. Yeah. And then fast forward to the new group. And they're just like, queer eye. There was also a hair found in the duct tape. It was dyed blonde. When asked if they knew any bottle blondes, Benson says, hmm, three. At this point, I'm like, oh, my God, this is the movie Heathers. It doesn't go there, but remember Heathers? Have you ever seen it? It's one of my favorite movies. I fucking love that movie. In the precinct, Craig and stops Huang and asks, under what circumstances would Miss Teen USA commit a violent act with sexual undertones? As if it's a normal fucking question. They're literally just crossing paths in the precinct. And Huang takes it in like, oh, yeah, this is just a part of my day. Um, Well, she could have been abused herself or she might be psychotic. I don't know. She would go after someone close to her because boys tend to have conflicts with acquaintances or strangers. So mm. Girls tend to attack within tightly knit friendships, relational aggression. Girls are socialized to be nice and boys are socialized to release their anger. Fuck you, I said. Mm. Mm-hmm. Benny confirms the girl shit and says the people who always made her feel the worst were her closest friends. And at first I was like, not me. And then I'm like, actually, yeah. When I was young, yeah. Kwong speculates that a betrayal within the inner circle caused the attack. They got to figure out what the betrayal was and who committed the murder. Benny thinks it may have been Veronica and the other two Heathers. Cragen says if they bring in all three, they may keep lying. That was a Heathers reference, you guys. Stabler says clicks are like the mafia. Nobody knows nothing. And I'm like, bullshit, that loyalty does not exist. Kwong tells them to contact a peer counselor because they usually know a lot. And I don't think they do, but let's go check because... (laughs) Yeah, I was like... Mm -mm, We didn't talk to... No. Yeah. Benny and Stabes and Huang are going to head over to get that psych insight. Insight. Word mash. (laughs) Now we're at the Tanner Day Academy Peer Counseling Center. Oh my God, I'm going to squeal over you just super, super quick. This lady... 
Okay, this counselor, this fucking gal was the main character besides the hot dog in that goddamn web series, Wiener and Wiener. Oh my God. Yeah. Holy shit. And so then I spent a bunch of time like, that's it. I'm watching this. I need to watch this. And you cannot fucking find it. If you can find Wiener and Wiener, send it to me. Hmm. That's really weird. The peer counselor knows the girls. When asked if anyone had an issue with Emily's group, the peer counselor says that she can't break confidence of what is said to her because um, it's like therapy. She's like, um, it's like therapy. <sighs> Jesus, these children shouldn't be in charge of anything. Okay. No. Why are they even having kids? The hierarchy still yeah. exists in that room. Like the mm-hmm. teen hierarchy. Yeah. Benson asked her what she thinks about Emily and her friends. She thinks they're nice, but can see someone with low self-esteem having a problem with them. But she didn't. She doesn't have a problem with them. Mm-mm. Or low self-esteem. Yeah. Stabler asks if she knows people who have issues with the group. And she says yes, but she tells those people that those girls being mean is just a defense mechanism. That they're just like you and me. They have their own insecurities. And I'm like, no, not an excuse. No. Now Kwong is questioning another girl. She says that being popular was really hard on Emily. Like a lot of pressure to be perfect, blah, blah, blah. Huang asks her if that's an excuse for bad behavior. And she's like, no. The girl says that she understood Emily better than most people. They were next door neighbors most of their lives. They were friends until Emily became popular. So now they're just basically at home friends, which is stupid. And recently, Emily was starting to get away from those girls and thinking about college and meeting new people. And Emily was starting to see how nasty and manipulative Brittany was. She also tells Huang that Emily hooked up with Brittany's boyfriend, Lucas. Oh, shit. And Brittany was so pissed off. This girl says that Brittany likes people to be afraid of her, but Emily wasn't afraid anymore. And then here I was like, but I thought Lucas said he didn't know Emily was 16. (gasps) Hmm. Benny and Stave's bang on Lucas's apartment door. Stabler muscles his way in when Lucas opens the door and he makes Lucas sit down and they confront him about Brittany. He says they didn't have sex and she wouldn't do it. They're making fun of him for being a douchey actor or whatever and Benny squats down Mm -hmm. next to him and goes, hey, can you act like a prison inmate? (laughs) I thought it was great. I didn't even catch that, yeah. He says Brittany and him started dating and then a few months ago, Brittany told Lucas to hit on Emily as a, quote, friendship test and then when Emily took the bait and she and Lucas hooked up and he's like, what was I supposed to do say no and i'm like wow you're fucking gross you're an adult man in a grape costume (laughs) he says britney went psycho on him stabler starts handcuffing him and stabler's like why'd you lie for britney then lucas says he lied for britney because he thinks she fucking poisoned his cat buttons he doesn't want to cross her he says he hadn't heard from britney in weeks except the night emily was killed britney wanted him to get them some beer they were in emily's car but emily wasn't there and when he tried to put the beer in the trunk they all freaked out and benson's like who's they and lucas says andrea and Paige were in the car too they do whatever britney says oh my god now we're back at tanner day benson stabler and the patrol officers locate the girls at a basketball game in a full-ass gym the music is all swelly all fucking three are arrested for the murder of emily in front of everyone and i love it we will keep you here till four (laughs) agnes sees what's happened and looks nervous and i'm like oh my god but why was she with them that night and they were pretending to be friends with her to blame her for emily being killed that's not what happened but i get now she's nervous because she's like i'm gonna somehow get blamed for something see i didn't think she looked nervous oh to me i saw her i thought she looked like she was like oh fuck back at the precinct novak is questioning andrea and kressler is her lawyer so he's there too andrea denies killing Emily and says she doesn't know who did. Novak tells her that Lucas saw Andrea in Emily's car, so you're lying.
lying, honey. Then Andrea admits she did see Emily that night. Emily wanted to be dropped off at a bar and for the girls to take the car home. Andrea said they had been drinking, so they parked the car and took a train home instead. She called Emily to tell her where the car was. Okay, Novak, the adult who works in the legal field says, all right, uh, we'll just check Andrea's cell for proof of the call. So that sounds good. And we'll figure it out. She's like, oh, I called from a payphone, though. Novak's like, mm, cool. Okay, mm-hmm. then we'll just check Emily's phone for the incoming call. Unless that's not true mm-hmm. either. <laughs> Andrea goes into full white girl victim mode. Her voice cracks like uh-huh. she's going to cry and goes, oh, why are you being so mean to me? <laughs> Why are you calling me out on shit that I did? I don't like this. I don't like this. I'm uncomfortable. Cut to Stabler answering that question, but to Paige in another room. Because you're lying to me, Paige, and you've been lying about this all along. Her lawyer and her parents are with her as well. This lawyer, attorney Lynn Riff, she's in two eps as this character. Hmm. She's also Judy King in Orange is the New Black, the lady who's a Martha Stewart type and goes to prison for insider trading or whatever. Remember? Kinda. Yeah, kinda. She's also in a ton of episodes of the show Fringe. Did you ever watch that show? Is that the one with like, there's like other dimensions? I won't be able to answer any question because I've never seen it, but it sounds like a Bones kind of show to me. So I thought you might have seen it. I think I've seen it. Hold on. Let me, hold on. Just give me a second. Oh yeah. This is, I, this was a fucking awesome show. Really? Oh yeah. It was so fucking good. Anyway, Staler dad squats and lets her know that she can tell him if Brittany did something, that it wouldn't be her fault. Her parents push her to tell the truth, but she still says Brittany was with them the whole time and... Brittany didn't do anything, and Stabler isn't having it. Stabler tells Paige about the hair found in the duct tape used to bind Emily belonging to Brittany. So, hmm, you were with her all night? You must have been there for that then, huh? Mm. Huh? Mm-hmm. Cut to Brittany being questioned in a different room by Benson, her mom and lawyer, fucking Lionel Granger, are all in one mm-hmm. room. Brittany mm-hmm. says that binding Emily and putting her in the trunk was a joke. You're bad at comedy. Yeah, that's so um, jawbreaker of you. Yes. You know? <laughs> that's, it's just just like, ugh, it's gaslighting teenager bullshit of like, uh, didn't you wear that two days ago? Uh, you're, you can't you're, sit with us. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's like, does that hurt your feelings? We're joking. Oh, my God. It's so weird that you like feel ugh, gross. Yeah, I know. Brittany says they didn't hurt her. Someone else killed her. She says they were just trying to teach Emily a lesson and she has no mm-hmm. idea how the rest of that shit happened. So for a second, I was like, oh my God, maybe Agnes did like find mm-hmm. her body or like find yep, her and then do something after the girls had parked the cart. Yeah. Like she was like, oh, she's bound. She can't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just went nuts. Cut to Andrea, who says, you can't do whatever you want. There are rules. Referring to Emily stealing Britney's boyfriend. And Novak's like, cool. So you gals tied her up, threw her in the trunk, and left her there perfectly alive. Kessler's not having that and says, we're done with these questions. And Novak (laughs) says to him, sounds good. But you know what, sweetie? Nose to noses with Andrea. This lie that y'all are telling is a bad one. Like nobody believes it. Or is going to believe it. So you better come clean with some shit right now if you think you're going to get any kind of deal out of me. Bye. And gets up to leave. Mm -hmm. These little fucking girls have no idea who they're dealing with. Yeah, they're just children. Between Benny and Novak. And Stabler. We don't care about your bullshit mean girl shit. Like, we don't care. Yeah. We already dealt with versions of you that are married to their loser townie high school football boyfriend with three fucking kids. We don't give a shit. So as Novak's leaving the room, Andrea shouts, Britney went crazy. Mm. I love when you I love when you do their little like 
cut to Paige. She just lost it. Now I'm doing it for you. <laughs> Brittany punched Emily, then lit a Jesus. cigarette, then took out the scissors. Cut to Andrea. Andrea's telling them about Brittany getting a knife out and stabbing Emily. She says that she and Paige were just standing there while all of it happened. Cut to Paige. Stabler asked Paige if she helped Brittany, but she swears Brittany did everything. Back to Brittany. And Brittany says the other girls didn't do anything. Craig is in the doorway. He says that her statement is consistent with what the other girls said. We know. We just bounced all over with them. Uh They're innocent and she killed Emily by herself. And she goes, "Uh, they're not saying that. Craigan, ooh, Craigan's not taking her shit either. You better yeah. believe they are, little girl. Ha <laughs> ha, daddy Craigs. <laughs> Emily wants to know what her friend said, so Craigan gets out his old bag of tricks and tells her that you killed Emily for stealing your boyfriend. Oh, and that you're nuts. Brittany's mom tries to have her daughter's back and goes, they're clearly lying. And Brittany jumps up, screaming at her mom, shut up, you're not helping. Oh, and her mom just does. Yeah. <laughs> I would, oh my God, I would, mm -mm. I don't, yeah. Benson tells her to sit down and Brittany's like, no, I want them to say this to my face. And she starts banging on the glass and screaming like, get out of here. Craig and restrains her and tells her Benny should have smothered her when she had the chance in the hospital. No, he doesn't say that. In Novak's office, Granger comes in asking for a plea deal and interrupts Novak's pretend Chinese takeout lunch. I just thought it was funny how, like, the whole conversation, she just keeps poking these chopsticks in there but not eating anything. Mm-hmm. You know, if he steals some kind of Chinese pickled vegetable from her, I swear to God. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but, like, she's holding this takeout box and just, like, poking with chopsticks and then would talk and then poke around with chopsticks. And I'm like, get some fucking lo mein in your mouth or I don't believe you that there's anything in there. <laughs> Granger says Brittany will need to testify against the other girls because they're not going to be able to convict them without direct evidence. Did you pick up those two pens I because did. you said Chinese food? And I you did. And it. I was like imitating yeah. her picking up. <laughs> Granger's like, listen, these gals sat back and watched their friend get murdered. My client is mm-hmm. off her nut. What's their excuse? Novak tells him the others are being charged, but one sympathetic juror is going to tank the whole fucking thing. Granger tries to get Novak to sympathize with the girls, and she calls them fucking monsters and tells him there's no plea deal. Kressler and Riff show up then when Granger leaves. They have a motion to sever their clients' cases from Britney's. Kressler said that since there's no proof of intent, there's going to be a short trial. So Novak, Kressler, and Riff go to the chambers of Judge Petrovsky. Riff argues that Brittany controlled the other girls, and Kressler says their case is about free will and the people can't prove that Paige and Andrea had it. Novak argues intent because they drove around with Emily in the fucking trunk all night. Riff says they didn't have intent. Brittany was their leader. Kressler argues mob mentality and references the Reginald Denny trial after the L.A. riots and the civil rights trial after the Crown Heights riots. Petrovsky does not like that argument. She's like, where's mm-hmm. the mob? These are three teenage girls. Mm-hmm. She tells them if a jury buys their argument. like That's the thing is like comparing it to Reginald Denny is fucked. Right. You know what I'm saying? It's just it's a very different. Yeah. I don't. And the I judge is like, no, no, thank the, you. Yeah. And the judge was like, excuse me. Did you say fucking Reginald Denny? Are you kidding me? Like mm-hmm. she tells them that if a jury buys their argument of an individual being wildly influenced by a small group, it will cause personal responsibility to go out the window. Like it is setting mm-hmm. a fucked up precedent. Mm-hmm. But then she's like, but we'll let the jury decide. So mm-hmm. 
And Novak's like, okay. Yeah. At the prison, Granger and Brittany are appealing to Novak. Granger wants the kidnapping charge dropped and says that Brittany can be charged with manslaughter in the first degree and she'll testify against Barbie and Skipper. See? Reasonable. Novak's like, I don't have time for this shit, dude, and gets up to leave. Granger mm -hmm. stops her. He thinks the jury will find any excuse to not throw Andrea and Paige in jail. Like the excuse that Brittany fucking murdered someone in front of them? I don't know. Yeah. Novak argues that it's also possible that Brittany will get a life sentence. Novak counters all of this with murder in the second degree, kidnapping in the first, sentences served concurrently with the possibility of parole. This is your client's only chance at a future. You should take it and thank me. Mm -hmm. Novak tells Brittany to tell the truth to the jury or the deal is fucking gone. And I'm going to add perjury. Brittany agrees mm -hmm. saying that she'll tell them everything. She really doesn't care. Now we're in trial. Brittany takes the stand and Novak is questioning her. She tells the court that Andrea told Emily that they were going out all night and she made up the sleepover so Emily's parents didn't try to look for her. Novak asks Brittany if Emily got loose from the duct tape at any point. Brittany says, yeah, a couple of times. Once she even kicked me in the face. Brittany says that one time Paige grabbed her by the hair so Brittany could rebind her. Jesus. Another time when Emily almost got out of the trunk, Andrea pushed her back in. And the way that Brittany is talking is insane. She's like just telling the story. Like mm -hmm. no feelings about it. Mm -hmm. She for sure poisoned that cat. Yeah. Okay. Brittany says Paige and Andrea were left alone with Emily for about five or ten minutes when Brittany went to go buy cigarettes and didn't let her go or anything. Novak asked Brittany what they did after Emily was dead. She's like, mm, I don't know. Paige was hungry, so we went and got food and then went home on the train. Brittany says the girls never asked her to stop and they were having fun. Now Riff questions Brittany. Riff asks if Emily asked Brittany to stop and she said, I guess... Riff reminds her that Emily offered Brittany money and her diamond earrings if she stopped fucking killing her. Brittany admits to thinking it was funny when Emily called out for her mother. Dude. Brittany admits to all of the torture and the murder. Riff says she didn't think Brittany wanted Andrea and Paige to help with the killing part because she wanted a fucking audience. Novak objects. Now we have expert witness Dr. Sofer on the stand and she's being questioned by Kessler. Full name, Christopher. <laughs> She studies all about how neurology influences behavior, but also how environment influences behavior. She talks about something called, quote, small group dynamics, and it's when an individual's identity fuses with the group identity, creating solidarity. You see it with soldiers, and I was like, I'm glad she said that, and mm. cult members. She says that intense situations create intense solidarity, and adolescents are under intense stress psychologically, emotionally, hormonally for years mm -hmm. and she says that solidarity makes the urge to conform irresistible she brings up fucking genocide as an example now novak questions her novak says that the way sofer's answering these questions it would seem like there would be packs of roaming teenage girls murdering people dr sofer says that someone would have to have a strong will to resist to conform so novak argues that the other two girls are just weak and sofer's kind of like well that's a very simple explanation for it i guess and then novak whips around her hair and she says quote last time i I checked. <laughs> Being weak isn't an excuse for murder. It's pathetic. And then, you know, Kressler obviously objects. Ooh. Last Her hair flip. <laughs> Last time I checked. The pageantry. The the three girls, did you not find them in anything? Because I, I don't, Brittany looked familiar. I looked and none of them had anything that super stood out to me. I, okay, relax. I know one of them was in Gilmore Girls a little bit, but yeah, none of them had. I also thought that at least one of them was very familiar looking, but. Brittany looked really familiar to me, but maybe she looks like somebody. Maybe. Now Andrea takes the stand. She says she feels so bad about everything. 
Andrea says she planned the night because she thought they were going to talk to Emily about how she wasn't being a good friend. That's it. She lied and said that they were going out to celebrate her birthday. She said she wouldn't have even gone if she thought Brittany had planned to kill Emily. Bullshit. Novak starts to flip through her notes ferociously. Andrea says she didn't try to stop Brittany because you don't say no to Brittany. You have to go along with her. Now Novak questions Andrea. This is so fucking wild to me. I'll tell when we get there. Mm. Andrea says she threw up when she got home because she was so scared of losing Brittany as a friend if she told. Novak starts to ask Andrea questions about her birthday, her birthstone, which is garnet. But Andrea's wearing a sapphire stone class ring. A September birthstone. Emily had a class ring that was engraved with her name. It was never found with her body. And then I'm like, I'm sorry, did this bitch really wear evidence? to court Mm. what are you stupid yes is the answer yes judge asked andrea to hand her the ring it's fucking emily's then andrea starts yelling Paige, give it to me Paige took it off emily's after she was dead and then Paige slams her hands up down she's like you're a liar you took her prada purse (laughs) the way they were saying it like you know what i mean andrea keeps yelling in the and tells the court that Paige has the bloody clothes emily was wearing that night oh my god it was crazy yeah novak asked andrea why she's wearing a dead girl's ring if she felt so bad and then the judge asks for counsel to approach she's like what the fuck everybody come over here let's have a chat this is crazy riff motions for a mistrial since the defendant perjured herself novak tells riff to fucking prove it judge denies the motion obviously mm-hmm. now we're in the courthouse hallway novak lets benson and stabler know how the two girls are guilty on all counts after a 15 minute jury verdict that's crazy yeah stabler was like geez 15 minutes good job counselor benson and novak kind of start walking off and be like man this brings back a lot of memories from high school and like dealing with fucking dumb bitches novak was like it felt kind of good it felt good Mm -hmm. stabler gets a call as they go to get in the elevator shots were fired at tanner day and i was like what no now we're at the school tanner day benson stabler arrived to see a message written in red spray paint or something on the lockers it says Agnes the pig squealed and then a fetal fucking pig is hung from a locker like what in the fuck no shit a responding officer says the message had been up all day and the admin wouldn't remove it until it was documented by the police a body is under the sheet on the floor Benson uncovers it it's a popular girl Agnes is being handcuffed and arrested Benson goes over to talk to her and Agnes says it didn't make a difference the other girls went to fucking jail and it was never gonna stop it was never gonna fucking stop and she is led away like she literally had nothing to do with anything and people were still they didn't have to bring it back to agnes i know and i was like agnes no toyota no agnes On January 11th, 1992, two hunters were out on rural Lemon Road in Madison, Indiana, when they found what appeared to be charred human remains, burned beyond recognition. That's where we start. 12-year-old Shanda Scherer was a vibrant, active, happy little girl growing up in Madison, Indiana in the early 90s. Born June 7th, 1979, she was raised with her sister Paige by her mom Jackie and her dad Steve, who were divorced but co-parented well. Jackie even moved her girls from Louisville, Kentucky to New Albany, Indiana to be closer to Steve. In 1991, Shanda started middle school as the new kid. She was 12 years old. Not even a week into the school year, Shanda landed herself in detention for fighting with another girl at school, 14-year-old Amanda Hevron. They actually left that day in detention as friends and started hanging out pretty frequently. Mm-hmm. Their relationship turned into a romantic one, which is hard to say about a 12-year-old to me, but 14 and 12. So they got even closer. Amanda was being kind of a little shit, though, because she had been dating 16-year-old Melinda Loveless for about a year. This came to what would normally be the 
pinnacle of such drama at the fall dance. Amanda and Shanda went to the dance together where they were confronted by Melinda. Melinda was beyond pissed, but directed all of her anger toward Shanda. After this confrontation, Melinda wrote a ton of notes, which is 90s texting, to Amanda just railing on how much she hated Shanda and how she wanted to kill her. Well, there were also notes going back and forth between Amanda and Shanda, and this is how Shanda's mom found out that the two were in a physical relationship. Jackie, Shanda's mom, pulled her daughter out of school and enrolled her in a private school to put distance between Shanda and Amanda. Hmm. The girls stayed in contact secretly. Um, There's debate whether Amanda was continuing to pursue Shanda and Shanda didn't want her to or what it all was because of the undertone of homophobia mm-hmm. in a bunch of this. Remember, this is the early 90s, sure, right? Yeah. But I'm also not about to go in on people who are still suffering to this day. So mm-hmm. either way, however, it was going. Um, the two were still talking, which enraged Melinda, the 16-year-old girlfriend of Amanda. Mm-hmm. Melinda's notes to Amanda were very threatening, so much so that Amanda and her dad took the notes to the youth prosecutor, mm. but nothing came of it. On the evening of January 10th, 1992, 17-year-old Lori Tackett picked up her friend, 15-year-old Hope Rippey, and Hope's friend, Tony Lawrence, who was also 15. As the girls got into the car, Lori smiled, looked at them, and said, we're going to kill a little girl tonight. Ew. Lori stopped to pick up her friend, Melinda Loveless. Hope and Tony had never met this girl. Hope later claimed that she initially believed Melinda wanted to teach Shanda a lesson and beat her up for the shit with her ex-girlfriend, teen drama bullshit. Mm -hmm. There's obviously conflicting testimony there since Lori told them they were going to kill Shanda. Yeah. But maybe Hope didn't believe it at the time. And that's what she claimed. She's like, I I didn't believe that that was true. So Shanda did weekends at her dad's place. So that's where these girls headed. When they pulled up to Shanda's dad's, Melinda told Lori and Tony to go to the door and tell Shanda to come with them because Amanda wanted to talk to her. Mm. Shanda answered the door and was excited at possibly being able to see Amanda and talk to her. But she said she couldn't come out until her dad and stepmom were asleep. So she told them to come back at midnight. Mm. Shanda's dad sitting in the living room when the girls showed up, like, what the fuck? Because they literally asked Shanda if Shanda was home. So he was suspicious. Like, why are these girls who don't know my daughter asking for her? Mm -hmm. But Shanda was like, "Ugh, nothing, dad. You're being weird. After Shanda's dad went to bed, the girls came back and Shanda walked to the end of the driveway where Lori's car was parked. Hope told her to get in the front seat. And when she did, Melinda came out from under a blanket in the back, put a knife to Shanda's throat and they took off. I'm throwing up a verbal trigger warning right now. This gets really bad. Hope was driving the car and the girls took Shanda to Witch's Castle, which was just an old burned down stone building in the area. Just some rubble, old fireplace, etc. But definitely terrifying to a little girl. Like, I'm sure it was a local folklore thing where it was like, ooh, it's haunted here and whatever. Melinda made Shanda undress and beat her up while the other girls taunted Shanda and egged Melinda on. Mm. You know, yelling at her like, bet you'll never talk to her again. And, you know, just being mean girl shit. At some point, Hope took and put on Shanda's Mickey Mouse watch and Melinda took Shanda's ring to wear. Hmm. Lori wanted to get out of there because there were cars driving by. So they all got back in the car and took Shanda to the burn pile behind Lori Tackett's house. Hmm. This is where Melinda fought Shanda. Then Melinda tied Shanda's hands and feet, had her kneel in front of her and kneed her in the face. Jeez. As Shanda's face was bleeding, Melinda stabbed her multiple times. Oh my God. 
At one point, they placed a rope around her neck and pulled it until Shanda was unconscious. They thought she was dead, so they put her back in the trunk and went into Lori's room. Pretty soon, they hear Lori's dog barking and are like, what the fuck's going on out there? Shanda had woken up and was attempting to get out of the trunk. Lori grabbed a tire iron, went out to the car, and hit Shanda in the head with it until she was unconscious again. Jesus. Lori and Melinda decided they had to get rid of Shanda's body. The other two claimed they didn't know what the plan was and stayed back in Lori's room. Mm -hmm. So after Lori and Melinda leave the house, these two other girls, they're left at Lori's house, okay? Lori's dad is there. Lori's mom is there. The dad even came in at one point to talk to Tony and Hope, and he's like, where's my daughter? Yeah. They just said that she's out with Melinda. Mm. That was a key point later on that these two sat there for four hours and didn't report anything yeah meanwhile melinda and Lori are driving around trying to come up with where to put shanda continuing to attempt to kill her she was beaten and sexually assaulted with a tire iron Jesus fucking just sadistic shit then melinda and Lori went back to the house shanda still in the trunk dawn was breaking and the four were trying to come up with a plan to dispose of shanda's body hope said that she heard if you burned a body it will get rid of all the evidence because she's a stupid fucking teenager she literally was like we can burn the body and the knife and it will all disintegrate yeah they're all stupid because they were like yeah okay so that's a really good idea that's how you that's how you do that no they're fucking idiots they go to this gas station before they left Lori's to do this hope opened the trunk and sprayed windex in all of shanda's wounds the girls drove to the gas station bought a two liter bottle of soda emptied it and filled it with gasoline they drove out onto a gravel road at this point tony who didn't act a lot during this thing she refused to get out of the car at this point remember tony doesn't know any of them she only knows hope yeah hope is her best friend the other three wrapped shanda in a blanket and laid her in an open field hope poured gasoline on shanda and Lori lit the match setting her on fire when they got in the car to leave melinda looked back and said she was afraid the fire would go out so they stopped again melinda poured the rest of the gas on her ensuring she would be completely burned after leaving shanda burning the four teens went to mcdonald's for breakfast and joked that shanda looked like the sausages Jesus fucking Christ. Mm-hmm. As the morning of January 11th came to light, Shanda's dad, Steve, and his wife were realizing that Shanda was missing. He called his ex-wife, Jackie, Shanda's mom, and together they filed a missing persons report. Meanwhile, Melinda headed over to see Amanda and showed her the bloody trunk. Mm -hmm. She told Amanda that she did what she said she was going to do. And Amanda either didn't believe her or was in shock or both because she waited several hours to tell her dad what Melinda had done. Mm -hmm. That evening, Tony Lawrence went to the police station with her parents and told the detectives the entire story. Mm -hmm. By the end of the day, Melinda and Lori were in police custody, charged with first-degree murder. Tony and Hope shortly followed. Mm. Shanda was identified through dental records and the coroner's report gave her cause of death smoke inhalation oh she had been alive when they set her on fire oh my fucking god that fucking poor kid holy shit i know she was 12 that's fucking crazy that is absolute i have i have no idea how i've never heard of this before this is fucking crazy mm -hmm. oh my god smoke inhalation i mean you fucking oh my god so Melinda and Lori are looking at the death penalty. Being that Hope and Tony were 15, they weren't eligible for that. On top of that, with Tony being the first to confess, she was given a deal in exchange for being the star witness for the prosecution. Mm -hmm. Tony pled guilty to one count of criminal confinement, a class B felony, and received a 20-year sentence. The other three accepted plea bargains. Hope was sentenced to 50 years for murder, while Lori and Melinda were sentenced to 60 years for first-degree murder and criminal confinement. Mm. 
During one of the hearings, a witness testified that Lori had told her she had always felt it was her destiny to murder someone and spend her life in prison. Holy fucking shit. Mm -hmm. Tony was released from prison on December 14th, 2000, after serving nine years. Mm -hmm. After Shanda's murder, Shanda's dad, Steve, spiraled into alcoholism and lost his life at 53 in 2005. Hmm. Hope Rippy appealed until she got a judge to resentence her, and she was released on April 28th, 2006, serving only 14 years. Lori was released on January of 2018. She served 26 years. And Melinda was released from prison September of 2019 after serving just 27 years of her 60-year sentence. What? Melinda had worn that ring that she took from the girl she murdered in prison. I don't know when she stopped wearing it, but I watched this interview with Shanda's mom and her sister, Paige, and they had said, we don't fucking know why, but the prison won't take it from her and give it back to us. I think that was like 2006, maybe that interview was. She got to keep a trophy yeah oh my god uh... so i don't know what happened after that interview uh i couldn't find anything more about the ring it was just the mom saying that that fucking woman is wearing my daughter's ring in prison Ugh. just fucked yeah this interview that hope rippy gave and there's links to all of the stuff again on our website so there's this interview with her it's with dr phil so he's like what would make you blah, blah, blah. you know the mom confronts her and stuff like they have they meet each other mm. and she's like what would fucking make you do this to a kid? You know, and she's like, I, I don't know. I wish I could answer that. I was such a weak follower. Which one was this? Hope. Hope. Okay. Hope Rippy. Yeah. The one who got the second shortest sentence. Yeah. Who only served 14 years and she was the one who dumped the gas on her and everything. <sighs> Fuck. She was like, I was a fucking follower. I was weak and I was scared. I've done a lot of you know, yeah. work and reflecting and I'm never going to. I thought you were going to do it about those um, girls in Wisconsin. Remember? Oh, Slenderman? The Slenderman thing, yeah. No, there's there's an episode, because that did cross my mind. Yeah. But no, there's an episode about Slenderman. I remember learning a lot about, like, small group dynamics and sociology and how absolutely, like, fucked the shit can get. And then, mm. like, how afterwards a lot of people are like, what the fuck was I doing? You know, I'm, yeah. I am absolutely not saying that's an excuse. I'm just saying it's a real thing that happens, like, small group dynamics. The escalation of this is so sick. I know. It's like... It's fucked up. It's just, it's, and it's so heartbreaking for this little girl and her family. She's fucking, she's 12 years I old. Know. She was 12. <sighs> All right. She had like um, no idea what was going on. Like what was happening no. to her. That's so fucking sad. I mean, it's just so brutal. So awful. <sighs> God, we have a funny show. It's this hilarious. Well, jeez. Well, well. Well, what a fucking just nightmare. Okay. Mm -hmm. Next week, we have season five, episode 18, Careless. A boy dies in some religious ritual thing gone wrong, and Benson and Stabler investigate a foster care family and a bunch of fucked up shit's going on. Yes. I haven't seen it yet, but I can only Ooh. imagine. Rate and review us. <laughs> Email us at svupod <laughs> at gmail.com. We just have to fucking, nope, back to normal. Here yeah. we are. Mm hmm. Just everyday normal life. That wasn't fucking insane and really happened. You want to send us shit? Hey, send it to P.O. Box 176 DeForest, Wisconsin, 53532. Mm -hmm. ah. Check out our Instagram at SVUPod. Get pod merch and more at SVUPod.com. Join the Facebook group, SVUPod Elite Squad. It's super fun. I fucking love everybody on there. And we have a little chat group called Walk and Talk. 
which I also love. Everybody's yes. so fucking supportive and nice on there. I love them. Okay. Hashtag little bit loud for all your indie pod needs. If you're a little indie pod, hashtag little bit loud so other people can find you. Yeah. And you know what? Join the Patreon. Join that Patreon. We got so much fucking content on there, dude. Yeah. And then you have like deals on merch and friendship boats and garbage cookies and all the things. Well, yep. Okay. Love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. I don't know why this is so hard for me to fucking get out of my mouth. God. <laughs> That's what she said. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're you're not recording anymore, or you're not. I don't see your face anymore. Can you hear me? Yeah. Can you can you see me? Papa. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What is that one where it's like a group of frat guys is called an accusation? <laughs> it's called a statutory. Okay. <laughs> there's we have so much fun. There's been <laughs> Why does anybody listen to us? <laughs> like we just we just <laughs> I'm gonna And to our Elite Squad patrons, Sonia W, Marissa M, Elkie H, Annie G, Mary D, Andrew, Andrew, Rebecca D, Miranda B, Shelby W, Lex, Emily T, Kayla W, Mallory G, Bonita R, Marin, Vanessa, Amy P, Melanie G, Courtney W, Ursula S, Kate H, Uyanga. Kayla J, Catherine M, Kate P, Jessica S, Nicole M, Acacia V, Katarina G, Danielle W, Kelsey D, Jana M, Joshua H, Tammy J, Bear, Crystal, Lucy M, Trisha S, Sam D, Mac Attack, Casey W, Abby W, Alexis J, Lauren T, Kaylin B, Camille Z, Nisha G, Maggie D, Kaylin. Katie M, Eliza W, Crystal B, Jessica P, Zan and J, Nada M, Sin, Christina D, Madison H, Emily O'Halloran, Emily O, Chase the Rainbow. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking dumb. Victoria B, Scout G, Melissa M, Desiree D, Drew B, Amberly C, Louise M, Sapphire, Monica K, KDS, Trisha S, Angela D, Brenna T, Andrea M, Natasha S, Andrea H, Miranda B, Al H, Nikki R, Sarah Joyner, my aunt. Hi, Aunt Sarah. Hi. And Caitlin S, we love you so much and we appreciate you. Appreciate you fucking making this possible for us. We're best friends and we love doing this. We're together all best you. friends. We are all best friends together. I got called out for the Elmo song. La 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 la. Oh. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I, I have a kindergartner. <laughs> hey guys, also thanks for all the birthday wishes. Yeah. And presents everybody and... showered Gabe in the way that she knew she deserved. <laughs> <laughs> we got 
364 days and count until next year. So start planning. Yeah. Planning um, how are you going to celebrate me? So. Oh, yeah. Oh, Tasha's birthday's I don't know, sometime July 4th or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. It is. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> God, I'm such a dork. 